Thanks, Gary. Hey, listen, how many of you know we got to uh, see, inaugurated yesterday, our president? Come into, look at all of you, like, no applause. Everybody, yeah. let, me, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. You know, the Bible says some pretty unique things about that. I think as we're, as we're getting in this 21 United, you know the Bible actually tells us to pray for those who are over us in the Lord? Who are over us in authority, whether they're in the Lord or not, but just in authority over us? The Bible tells us that. Listen to what it says. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. Listen to verse 3. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So can we pray this morning? Jesus, we thank you so much for an opportunity to live in a free country. Lord, a country where, Lord, we get to vote, we get to make decisions, and whether or not somebody agrees or disagrees with a decision, you didn't call us to boycott. Lord, you didn't call us to stand against. We may not agree with the policies, for sure. God, we may not agree with the, the, the stance. We may not agree with any of that stuff. But you didn't tell us to to, to stand and, and just get mean about it. Lord, you told us to pray. So, Lord, we lift up President Trump. Lord, we lift up him and his cabinet. We lift up all those who are in authority. Jesus, that it would go well with us in our land and that you would be blessed. So we pray right now, God, for his leadership. Lord, we ask that you help him to draw to you. Lord, we pray that somehow he finds, he finds you in a new way that he's ever seen before. Have your way, God, in this country. We trust you. We trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Good stuff, good stuff. Hey, welcome to what we call Sync Up Sunday. That's around here. Many of you walked in this morning and you saw a bunch of tables hanging out out there in our mezzanine because our intention is for us to fulfill our mission. I mean, you know what our mission at Puget Sound Christian Center is, right? To send loved, mended, and trained people out. Say it with me. What's our mission? To send loved mended and trained people out. How do we do that? Here's how we do that. Show up, sync up, and serve, right? That's how we fulfill our mission. You show up, right? Showing up is more than just attending. Showing up is being there, right? Sync up. What does it mean to sync up? It means to connect, to be in life with other people, seeing and hearing and being about what God has through you and from you, and serve. Gosh, we want you to be involved in serving somewhere. There's no better way to walk out your faith than to begin to a place of servanthood in your life. So we have all these tables out there, and we're going to invite you at the end of the service to go out there and sync up somewhere. We want you to get involved in one of our groups. It's so important. It's not an option. We really want you to be a part of what we're doing at PSCC and that you can connect with a group of people. You may say, well, I always feel uncomfortable. The church is too big. I can't figure out how to do that. This is a way to make a big church small, is for you to get connected with a small group of people. Amen? So you're going to go out there and sign up for a group? Six of you. You just said amen. Come on. Listen, sec, we're in our third week of 21 United. Are you feeling all right? Some of you who uh, have never fasted before, you're realizing that 24 hours is a long time. Right? Some of you have been fasting food. Some of you have been fasting a meal a day, two meals a day. Some of you have been fasting all day long, one day a week. Some of you have, just, there's all kinds, some of you have been fasting Facebook or social media, it's so fun to be able to sit back and listen to some of the stories that I'm hearing. I got to listen to a story last week of a family 
who, who entire family are deciding to fast TV. And it's kind of fun to listen to their story. When this dad said, there's a lot of time in a day. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we spend a lot of time, you know, and watching this dad, he goes, my kids and I are engaging in a different level than we had before. And it's fun because a lot of the fasting, those kinds of things, which is awesome with our kids ministry, it's driven by your kids, which is awesome. They're, you know what that is? It's peer pressure from them. Jesus name, right? So listen, if you've not started, maybe you're like, oh, wow, I forgot about that. Can I tell you, start now. It's not too late. You know what? You can do 14 United. It doesn't matter. I just, just come on and join us. It doesn't matter, right? It's a heart issue. You watch what God's going to do in you. The length of time is insignificant, in my opinion. But for this, I want you to join us and be about it. So if you've not started, pick something, fast, read the devotionals together, pray, and watch God show up with us. Remember, Friday nights, this last Friday, man, we had a great time. We had a bunch of people here on Friday night just to come and pray. We learned about inside-out prayer, what that means to start on the inside and begin to pray all the way out to our world. It's kind of fun. So if you weren't here this last Friday, no big deal, man. I'm telling you, come this next Friday. This next Friday is going to be a really special time as well. We're actually going to be doing what we're calling intercessory worship. where We're going to have our worship team up here the entire time. And they're just going to be leading us in worship. And, and we're intermixed between the worship. We're going to stop and have these times of intercessory prayer. Maybe you've never been to something that's been like that worship, intercession, harp and bowl kind of thing. Come, I'm telling you. It's going to be an amazing time. So join us next Friday, this Friday coming up at 7 o'clock. And we'll go to about 8.30 or so. 8, 8.30. We have, kids, uh, children, we have nursery for you and all that. So it'll be kind of fun. I've been thinking a lot about prayer lately. How many of you have been doing the same? Think a lot about prayer. I mean, not only are we in 21 United, but I've been thinking a lot about prayer. The importance of prayer, the need for prayer, the effectiveness of prayer, the power of prayer. Man, I spend a lot of time thinking about what this prayer thing is really all about. And hopefully for you, your, your prayer times have gotten sweeter over the last few days. Hopefully for you, your time with Jesus has gotten uh, more, more, more elongated, perhaps, but maybe more intimate. It's amazing to me when I think about prayer, when I think about the importance and the power and the effectiveness of prayer, it's amazing to me how little we actually walk that out in our lives. I mean, we know it's important. We know it's awesome. We know there's great things. We know there's powerful and effective things that happen. Yet still I wonder why it is that we pull back from walking prayer out in our lives regularly. What is prayer? Last week you heard LaFon quote this today. Prayer, what I believe prayer is, I think prayer is really lining our hearts up with God's heart. Right? Remember, prayer isn't telling God something he doesn't already know. Prayer isn't coming and tapping on heaven saying, hey God, by the way, I want to make sure you know this. Right? Prayer isn't you coming and telling God something he doesn't already know. Prayer is you're lining your heart up with God. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we see. And when you begin to get God's heart, trust me, I think there's things that can change. Not only in your heart, but I think God changes. I think there's times when God says, listen, uh, when he changes, he, he, will, he will stop and literally move mountains for you that were immovable before. Because you say, God, I want you to do this. Would you please take care of this? And, and you watch, the, the Bible says a prayer in faith can move a mountain. God can do amazing things. But prayer is when we line our hearts up with God. And my fear is that so many of us spend so much time doing anything but lining our hearts up with God. We line our hearts up with our friends. We line our hearts up with 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Why do we line our, our hearts up with the media? We line our hearts up with everything around us except with what God's heart is. And prayer is just simply saying, God, I want your heart and I want to do it your way. What happens when we pray? What happens when we pray? A couple of things I wrote down last week. I just want to remind you of this week. When we pray, the Bible says God will listen. When we pray, God will listen. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, In those days when you pray, I will listen. You know, some of you here today actually don't believe that. Some of you here today actually think that God listens to some people. God listens to super spiritual people. God listens to super mature Christians. God listens to preachers and prophets and all those kinds of people. But God doesn't necessarily listen to you. Can I tell you, the Bible says that when you pray, I will listen. He hears your prayer. He hears your prayer. Some of you have never thought that that's the case because we just lob out these, these uh, whatevers to God in hopes that somehow he'll be happy enough with me to maybe lean an ear towards me. We don't really think about it like that, but we'll throw out some sort of a, well, if I, if I uh, avoid this or if I do that, then God will be pleased with me and then he'll listen to me and grant me my request as if he's a genie in a bottle. The Bible says when we pray, God will listen. In that day, he said, I will listen. Listen to this. Whatever happens, what else happens when we pray? When we pray, the Bible says this, that our prayers are powerful and effective. You believe your prayers are powerful and effective? Not really. Powerful and effective. Listen to what it says in James 5.16. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has powerful, it says great power and wonderful results. What else happens when we pray? When we pray, the Bible says God will change you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not disaster, to give you a hope and to give you a future. Prayer. Why in the world will we not pray? You know, I remember, uh, some, of you, some of you grew up in, in, at a time when there was prayer in schools. How many of you remember that? Prayer in schools, a bunch of you did, right? But can I tell you this? As long as there are tested ministers in schools, there will be prayer in schools. I promise. So contrary to what political people might think, there is prayer in schools. I promise. In fact, it's funny. I was talking to my wife who played volleyball. She played college volleyball at business. But I remember, um, did you know, I don't know if you know this, but every single football game I ever played in my life, we prayed beforehand. I mean, we, we were not a godly school, trust me. And it, it, when I was in junior high, middle school, high school, college, when I played football at every level, we prayed. Every, every, you know what every single NFL team prays before? They're praying. Right? Seahawks needed a little of that last week. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> the love of God. What? The, uh, come on. You needed to be lined up. Dang. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Still bumming me out. Why doesn't our prayer behavior, our pr- why doesn't our prayer belief match our prayer behavior? If we believe God is capable of doing anything, if we believe God is able to do immeasurably abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, why doesn't our prayer belief match our prayer behavior? Why is it that we, we actually don't necessarily ascribe to all the things we say we believe? What stops us from praying powerful and effective prayers? What keeps us from stepping in and saying, God, I know you said so. And we begin to step in it and walk in it and believe in it. What keeps us from walking out the truth we say we know? 
I'm going to tell you five reasons why I believe our prayer belief doesn't match our prayer practice. Our prayer belief doesn't match our prayer practice. First of all, I don't think we believe that our prayer is relational. I think some of us don't believe that prayer is a relational thing. Some of us actually believe that prayer is just this divine request line to God. And our job is just to say, God, I need. God, I want. God, you need to. And we actually don't even believe that prayer is this, is this moment for repentance and a time for humility, a time for being contrite before him, a time to be still and know that he is God and we are not. See, sometimes we, think we, just, we don't think prayer is relational. We kind of think that prayer is just this, this time to, to dial up heaven and tell him what we got, tell him what we need. Sometimes I think we forget that prayer is this time when we get to grow relationally with God. See, we forget that there's, there's a relationship that God's intending for us to have with him. It's an intimacy. It's like we saw in worship today, this moment of God being able to say, listen, I just, I mean, you know what it's like, right? When we just get quiet before heaven and we, well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we just don't get quiet before heaven. Maybe we don't spend enough time just being quiet and listening to what God has to say. Because prayer isn't relational to us. Some of the reasons I think we forget that, that our, our, our prayer belief doesn't match our prayer practice is because we actually don't think that prayer is relational. Sometimes we need to turn off the music. Sometimes we need to turn off the noise. Yesterday I went on a couple of mile walk and, and I left my phone at home, or I left my phone in my pocket. I didn't bring my headphones. And I just decided, hey, I'm just gonna walk and listen. I love when I do that. Pretty, you know when you do that more often than not, you, you begin to see things differently. You begin to hear things differently when you just turn off the noise. But we're so conditioned to just have a noise all the time. Information, information, information. We're so overloaded that when it's not happening, it almost feels, some of us feel like quiet is loud. And some of us feel like we need noise to feel quiet. It's wrong. It's all craziness. But at the moment when we finally just say, God, I just want to be still and know that you are God. A friend of mine, Pastor Jeff, we used to say this in our church when I was a youth pastor. He said this. He said, Lance, sometimes we, we, we miss it because, because of the parade that goes on. We miss relationship with God because of the parade that shows up. Anytime, let me tell you this. Anytime you want to sit and be quiet before Jesus, a parade will show up. Every single time. A parade. You want to read your Bible? A parade. That's why I've told you before that the key of super spirituality, yellow sticky notes when you read your Bible. Right? Yellow sticky notes. Have them next to you when you're doing your devotions. Why? Because the parade will tell you what to think. You gotta, you need to, don't forget, make the call. Oh my gosh, she's mad at you. What'd you do wrong? I mean, everything that goes on, right? Take the sticky notes, write down, sorry, forgive me, repent, I'll call her, whatever you gotta do, right? Just, just put it there next to you. Why? To quiet the parade. Some of you need to wait out the parade. <laughs> just wait it out. Because parades always have an end. Right? Parades are there to do one thing, to distract you. It's just, it's just there to distract you, right? There, there's an end to a parade, I promise. Santa's always at the end, right? I mean, there's something. At the end of the parade, just wait it out. But some of you don't wait long enough for the parade to be done. And we think, you know, I, therefore, we think, I can't hear God's voice because it just get inundated with all the things. Some of you might have to wait just a little longer and allow the parade to go by. Hmm. We don't think prayer is relational. Mother Teresa was in the middle of a, 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 an interview with Tom Brokaw. Interviewer had asked this question. Mother Teresa from Calcutta, she said, listen, uh, he said, when you pray, what do you say to God? Mother Teresa replied, I don't talk. I just listen. 
Believing he understood what she said, Tom asked her again, Ah, then what is it that God says to you when you pray? Mother Teresa replied, Well, he also doesn't talk. He simply listens. It was a long silence. Tom seemed a little bit confused and not knowing what to say next. Finally, Mother Teresa breaks, out the silence, breaks the silence by saying this. If you can understand what I'm, what I'm meaning when I say that I've just said, then I'm sorry, but there's no better way to explain time with God than that. Sometimes I think we, we don't wait long enough in the presence of God to just listen. See, prayer is intended to be a dialogue. Prayer is not a monologue. Some of us get so riddled with guilt and shame and fear and worry that we think somehow if I just keep on yapping and keep on yapping and keep on yapping and tell God my request and then dip out that that I won't have to deal with my stuff. Can I tell you the beautiful thing about prayer is that it's a dialogue between the two of you because he wants you to deal with your stuff. Why? Because he wants to set you free from it. He wants to set you free from the worry. He wants to set you free from that unforgiveness. He wants to set you free from that anger, that fear, that shame. But you see, we won't wait long enough for that to happen. So so my challenge for you this week, my challenge for you this, is, is to literally shut off the noise. Turn off the TV. Turn your computer monitor off. Shut the lid. Put your phone upside down. Take a walk outside. Pull the shades, take a walk inside. Just be quiet and just wait. Now, some of you are like, I, I can't do that because I got kids running all around. Here's the, here's the deal with, with kids running around. Earphones and white noise. If you don't know what white noise is, you can download it for free online. Let me tell you, there's all white noises is this. It just shuts everything else out. It's just quiet. And just spend some time with Jesus. Make sure someone else is watching the kids. <laughs> then get quiet before Jesus. <laughs> some of you are like... Lance told me to neglect my children. (laughs) Hmm. Reasons why we don't believe, why our prayer belief doesn't match our prayer practice. Number two, because we underestimate the power of tolerated sin. We underestimate the power of tolerated sin. As a kid, (coughs) excuse me, as a kid, my dad, there were eight of us at one point with blended families and all that stuff. There were eight of us in our house. And my dad used to take me to the dump, right? So it was important to go because there was eight people. There was one couple of garbage cans, and there's no way that was going to work, right? So a lot of garbage, a lot of people. So we had to go to the dump every now and again. Let me tell you this. To a 12-year-old going to the dump back then, awesome, because there's just stuff. I mean, I'm telling you, right? One man's junk is a 12-year-old's awesome, right? I mean, you come up with stuff at the dump. You know, you might think that's gross, but when you're 12, back then, something. Right? So I remember, you can see all kinds of stuff in the dump, right? Well, today we can't do that, right? Today, there's a transfer station. It's not really a dump. That's no fun, right? So, 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 so the other day, right, I'm, Polly and I moved into our house that we're in, and so there was still junk around, and we had to go to the dump, and, and so I was at the transfer station, and I backed in there. I was just about ready to untie my load, and I was just getting ready to, to start dumping stuff, and I looked down, and, and when I was a kid, we used to take stuff because it was okay to, to, to kind of just take stuff that was at the dump because it was garbage, right? Someone was just going to bulldoze it over, so take it. Get to the back of my truck, and I don't know the rules of transfer stations today, right? Dump your stuff, get back in the truck, get out of here, right? No, no, no looking around for things to take home, right? Come on, right? Some of you are like, dude, that's so gross, right? Some of you are like, that's awesome, right? Like, can I tell you this? Right, so 
I, I get out of my truck, I go back to untie my load, and I look down. down. Literally, down by my feet, there's a box of hand tools. Full-on hand tools, like stuff. Like bro stuff. Right there, man. I was like... So I grabbed one, I put it in my hand, and I put it in my truck. It's garbage. They're throwing it away. Ain't no thing, right? Come on. Tell me out. You'd have done the same, right? So, so I was like, I'm confessing my sin, right? I get up in there anyway. So, so I get to start unloading my truck. And about halfway through, I was like, I can't do that. It says not to do that. You can't take stuff, man. Different day, right? And I was like, ah. Went in my truck, took it out, threw it back out in the pile. I was like, die. You know what? I, I was like, all right, God, I'm going to feel better about this in a minute. Every time I threw stuff out, I saw they're just sparkling at me. <laughs> Take me. I'm yours. God sent me here to get me. I mean, it's like I remember thinking like, oh, come on. Song of Songs chapter 2 says this. It's the little foxes that will ruin the entire vineyard. It's the little foxes. Folks, sometimes we underestimate the power of tolerated sin. We underestimate the power of the little foxes in our vineyard. And we allow the little foxes to come in because it ain't no thing. ain't no big deal. It's not a problem. It was there anyway. You know, it was on the TV, so I just watched it. Come on. We, 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 don't, we underestimate the power of tolerated sin. And we allow ourselves to head down that road because somehow, somehow it's all right. So somehow we justify stuff, don't we, man? We're just like, you know what? It was just right there, so I did it, and that's what it was. And we hang on to stuff as if it's somehow God's blessing to me. Let me tell you this. Tolerated sin will throw you off every time. See, it's the little foxes, the Bible says in Song of Songs, that will ruin the entire vineyard. It doesn't say ruin the vine. It says the vineyard. Some of your vineyards have been destroyed because of little tolerated sin. You know the little tolerated sin, right? You know the ones. I don't need to call them out. You know what they are. We allow that stuff to happen. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. These things we just hold on to. And they, they, they go deep within us. And they're little. They ain't no big deal. Most people would be like, come on, that's not a big thing at all. What's the big deal? When my kids were younger, they're all, they're all two of them married. They're all moved out. And, and I remember when they were teenagers, um, I used to tell my kids, each one of them, I remember having this conversation with them about the chocolate chip cookie dough. Right? And they were like, Dad, we love chocolate chip cookie dough. Who doesn't love that? Right? So there'd be chocolate chip cookie dough made. And I said, let me tell you the story about the cookie dough. Right? And so I told them this. You know, Mom bought the best stuff. We put the best things in here. You end up with the best thing. But I said, listen, there's one ingredient that I forgot about our cookie dough. Right? And so, and so literally, I said, what if I were to take Mom's cookie dough that she just made and take a little pinch of dog poop, put it inside, stir it all up, just a little bit. Not a lot, just a little teeny bit, just a, just a, little, just a little teeny bit, not a lot. How about a bite of that now? Not a chance. Not, nobody, nobody here would knowingly take a bite of the cookie dough knowing there's just a little teeny bit of poop in there, right? Come on. Yeah, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We see the bowl of cookie dough and we're just like, come on, just a little ain't going to hurt you. Just a couple, just a movie's not going to be so bad. Rated R, you know, rated R, whatever. The things you're going to do, whatever you, whatever you know is sin in your life that you keep on tolerating, it's the poop in the cookie dough. <laughs> Some of you writing that down. I'm telling my kid that tonight. <laughs> I love it. 
I think one of the most sad passages in all the scripture happened in Judges chapter 16. Delilah and Samson were kind of doing this. She was weird, man, I'm telling you. I don't know. He, he closed his eyes when he married her. I'm telling you, there's some craziness about her. Long story short, he was gifted with this crazy blessing from God of all this great strength and all the wonderful things that had happened. And she kept on trying to figure out how he got his great strength. And she, he wasn't going to tell her. So he finally gives in and tells her what the steel was. My long hair, that's what it was. And, and so then she, she woos him to sleep and then cuts his, his hair off and loses all of his strength. Listen to this. It says in Judges 16, 20. It says, then Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines are here to come and capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as I did before, and I will shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. One of the most sad passages of Scripture in all of the Bible is that he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. See, the Bible that we read says that he'll never leave you or forsake you. We know that God's not going to leave us. But oftentimes we run long and hard away from him. See, the thing about Samson was that he was just, he was just kind of living life in his own way, thinking like, God's good. God will always strengthen me. God will always be there. God will always, I get God my way. And unfortunately, we kind of do the same thing. We see God's grace and his protection and his strength in our life. And we find ourselves over and over again just running down a path with our hearts in the wrong place. God didn't leave us, but oftentimes we just close our eyes and run away from him. We don't even know it. It's like Samson, he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it until he was tested in his strength and he had nothing left. Some of us have been running so hard away from God, believing that I'm a child of God, therefore he's always going to bless me, he's always going to take care of me, he's always going to provide for me, and he will. But the problem is, is that when we go running away from him, why would he bless something that you're running away from? Why would he pour out his blessing on that relationship that you shouldn't be in? But God, God loves me. He's my child. And he's saying, listen, I didn't want you to be in that relationship because you're in this one. I didn't want you to toy around with that because you're we're supposed to be right here. And we allow ourselves in tolerated sin moments to just think like God's goodness is going to be. Let me tell you this. God's goodness is great. But he also doesn't want us to tolerate sin and allow ourselves to run down those roads and hang on tight and allow them to trip us up. Listen, if that's you this morning and you find yourself in the place of tolerating sin and believing somehow God's just going to overlook it, let me, t- let me tell you this. God loves you and he brought you here to hear this this morning. Will you just repent and say, Jesus, forgive me? Here's the great thing about Jesus. All you have to do is say, God, forgive me and then turn and start walking right. You don't have to, you don't have to offer him sacrifices. You don't have to run up and try to do cartwheels and twists and hope that somehow he'll just be happy enough. You just say, Jesus, forgive me and allow God to show up and heal you. And forgive you. When we confess our sin, the Bible says, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, get this, and to purify you from all unrighteousness. Love that. Mm. So what keeps us, what keeps our prayer belief doesn't, not matching our prayer practice? Number three, our prayer gets crowded out by all the stuff. Our prayer gets crowded out by all the stuff. Jesus, the Bible says, and the disciples continued on their way in Luke chapter 10, continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha, worrying or distracted over the big dinner that she was preparing, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, dear Martha, you're so upset over these details. There's really only one thing that's worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it. 
and I won't take it away from her. Hmm. It's interesting, this, this, this picture of Jesus and his disciples and whomever else was trailing around with Jesus all show up at Martha's house. It says it was her house, right? She was a woman. She had a house. She was a big deal. There's something special about Martha. I mean, she wasn't just some, some woman who just happened to live in a tent somewhere. I mean, she full owned a home, right? So this is Martha. A bunch of these humans show up to her house and her sister's there. Now, you understand Jewish culture, right? Jewish culture, first of all, a Jewish woman would never be seen sitting at the feet of a rabbi. That was for the place of young men. Why? That's just the way that it was in their culture, right? And not only that, but a woman would show up and her job was to serve the people who come into their house. So Martha's there. She's doing what she's supposed to do. The Bible actually said that she was distracted preparing a great feast for all of these people that showed up. And if you had 12 people plus showing up to your house, someone tells me you might be distracted with cleaning the toilet, making sure there's food ready. Come on. You know it, right? So some of you is kind of like, I get Martha. What was Mary thinking, right? And some of you are like, Come on, Martha, chill out. Mary knew what she was doing. You ever wonder what Martha was doing? Nobody asked Martha to prepare a great feast. Nobody asked Martha to put it out because all these people are here and she needed to open up this big spread. No one asked Martha to do that. But the Bible says that somehow she felt compelled to do something like that. In fact, it says that she, was, she felt distracted or she felt worried to do this. It's, it's interesting to me. Jesus said to her, she said, he said, Martha, listen, you don't have to do this. Mary knows what she's doing. Mary's doing the thing that she should be doing. It's interesting. This In the Greek, the, the word they're distracted or worrying about is the same word that means to be driven about by your emotions. It says that Martha was being driven about by her emotions. So much so that it was distracting her in her time with Jesus. Driven about by her emotions. Aren't you glad it didn't happen to you? Aren't you glad it didn't happen to you and you don't get driven about by your emotions? I mean, you know, the emotions of, of what will they think? Of, of what, what could they possibly, what would, what would they think if I show up and there's nothing here, right? The emotions of the present, well, some of us are drug, some of us have been driven about by the emotions from our past. And the emotions from our past keep us I mean, you can't stop that train because this is driving you all over the place. Some of you are so tired of your emotions driving you about from your past. It's exhausting. You can't spend time with Jesus because your emotions keep on telling you, you can't stop. You better keep going. You better keep performing so Jesus is happy with you. Some of us have been driven about by our emotions of having to please people. We have this man-pleasing thing that if people are just happy with us and people give us the big slap on the back and say, that was awesome, that somehow we'll feel good enough to think that God must be okay with us. And never in the Bible does he say, as long as people are happy with you, then I'll be happy with you. See, I love what Jesus said. He said, listen, Mary knew what she was doing. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus to listen. Now, now listen, is he saying that from now on just neglect everything that's responsible in your house and just spend time with Jesus? Not at all. Really what Jesus is saying is stop being driven about by your emotion. Stop being driven about by things you shouldn't be driven about. In fact, Jesus said there is one thing worth being driven about for, and that's time with him. It's about perspective. Jesus is saying get in balance. Get in balance. Sure, keep a clean house. Sure, prepare a meal for people who show up. But keep in balance. There's something between a difference between preparing a meal and preparing a feast. He's just simply saying, listen, don't neglect the what's, what, what's the perspective in this whole thing. 
And oftentimes, what happens is our, our, we get so distracted by all the things that keep us from Jesus that, that we end up actually never spending time with Jesus because of our distracted, worrying, and literally being driven about by all of the things that, that, that somehow seem to matter in our heads. Most of which Jesus didn't even tell us we needed to be concerned with. Maybe that's what's keeping you from your time with Jesus. Maybe that's what's keeping you from your prayer time with the Lord is that you're being driven about by all the things around you. Not enough time simply saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. Hmm. No one asked Mary to do that. Reason number four, why our prayer belief doesn't match our prayer practice. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. Leonard Ravenhill writes this, the self-sufficient do not pray, the self-satisfied will not pray, the self-righteous cannot pray, no man is greater than his prayer life. Hmm. I think it's one of the biggest reasons that our prayer doesn't match our belief is because we're too self-reliant. We spend way too much time being self-reliant. That, that's why when the world collapses around us and we lose our job, we get sick, uh, someone gets hurt, we can't fix it. That's why our prayer life comes to life, right? Because we can't fix it. And there's a part of me as a pastor that just says, God, then keep us in a mess. Keep us in a place where we can constantly come before you, right? The problem is, is that God loves you enough and he wants to help you grow and be strengthened and learn and all that stuff. And what happens is, is that we become so self-reliant, so self-conditioned, so self-aware that, that it ends up just pushing God away from us. I mean, pushing us away from God. We find ourselves just in this big stalemate. We don't step out and trust Jesus with our tithe. We don't step out and trust Jesus in, in places of faith to connect with others, to step out and take risks that, are he, that he would tell you to take because we're so self-reliant. Listen to this. John 15, 5 says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Number five, reason that our prayer belief doesn't match our prayer practice. Because our motive is all wrong. Our motives. So what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and quarrel and take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you don't want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motive is all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Our motive Oftentimes our motives are so wrong. Uh, there's a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, there's a, a group of people that are Christian people around us that would, would present what's called a prosperity gospel. I don't know if you've heard of that before. It's a, uh, that somehow you can name and claim things to God that, that he was supposed to just give to you. God, I, you, you promised me a place to live. Therefore, I want it to be a super nice place to live. And you know, that I would never be unhealthy, that I'll always be well, that I'll always have enough, that you'll give me a mansion, give me a super nice car, all the things that we can name and claim. See, the problem with that is, is that what happens with, with somewhere balanced Christian life, we say, I don't want to be anything like that and claim something that's, can I tell you this? There are promises that you're supposed to claim and walk in. The problem is, is that oftentimes that, that, that out of balance gospel, that out of balance message causes us to push away from it. God did, did say that he would take care of us. 
God did say that he will protect you. God did say he will walk with you. Uh, sometimes we, we, we push away some of those promises and we think, well, our motives are all crummy, so I'm not going to pray for anything selfish. I don't want you to pray for anything selfish. But I think we just get so confused, and so what happens is that we do nothing. See, maybe we need to be reminded of some of the true promises of God. Some of the promises that God says in his word that we can actually stand on. Then you don't have to worry about your motive. You can just pray what it is that God says. Let me, let me just read a couple of the promises that are in Scripture. Number one, God promised salvation for all who believe in his Son. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ, for it's the power of God that works, saving everyone who believes, first Jews, also Gentiles. God promised that all things will work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28, For we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to him. God promised comfort in our trials. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, all praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Pause. Does that mean then that God will never give you anything that's uncomfortable or that you'll never have to walk through some trial that will feel uncomfortable? No, 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 you will. James says, consider it pure joy, the trials that you walk through of many kinds. Over and over again, of course you're going to walk through uncomfortable situations, but in the midst of it, God can give you peace. Some of you have experienced the darkest nights of a soul that any human should ever have to endure. And yet somehow in the midst of that crazy darkness, you've sensed the peace of God that passes all understanding. And he brings his comfort in the darkest nights. God promised new life in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. What this means then is those who become Christians become new people. New people. They're not the same anymore for the old life is gone and the new has become. God promised spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we belong to Jesus. God promises to finish the work he started. God promises peace when we pray. God promises to supply all of our needs. I could go on and on and on. And, and I'll tell you what, over and over again in scripture, he tells us that I love you and I care for you. See, there are things that keep us from believing what it is that we actually say we believe. There's something that keeps us from practicing what we say we believe. And oftentimes it's our self-sufficiency it's our tolerating the little foxes. It's allowing ourselves to be so distracted that we can't spend time sitting quietly before the Lord. What are those things in your life? Can we go to prayer right now? Jesus, thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you for the promises that you've given us. I pray today, God, that as your children, we would come before you and and God, these things that have gotten in the way of what we say we believe, Lord, that those things would become less and that this week we wouldn't spend our time being distracted. God, we make an effort to step away from some of those things that have been driving us around. Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to come to the place where we would stop being so self-sufficient and that we would become so much more God-dependent. Lord, help us to Take those steps. Maybe as you sit quietly before the Lord right now, let him speak to you. What is he 
saying to you this morning that you want to remove from your life so as to begin to walk out prayerfully this week. Mm. You're good, Jesus. You're so good, Jesus. God, thank you so much for who you are. Maybe this morning as you're sitting quietly before the Lord, you're realizing that you don't know him. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe this morning is that time and you realize, all right, God, you got me. You cornered me. You got me to a place where my heart's soft enough to yield to you. If that's you this morning, I want you to say, Jesus, I surrender. I give you me. I just give you all of me. Take away my sin. Give me your beauty for all of my ashes. In Jesus' name, amen.